Welcome back, everyone, to this edition of Drunk Bible Study, bonus edition. We are here to talk to you about Jeremiah. What did we read today? Nine through eleven. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, yeah. It was a fun, it's a fun time again with the uh, <laughs> anger and sadness and mm-hmm. pouting from God and y'all hate me and love Baal. It's a fun time. Yeah, and you know what? That's a perfect segue into what I looked up for this bonus, which is about Baal. There you go. What's he all about? So one of the questions that came up during the live show was this question of, is Baal just one god? Hmm. Or perhaps a generic term for several gods? And basically the answers that I get are mixed when I look into this. So in certain contexts, Baal was was actually a specific god. Uh, Was a god in Canaan. And that's kind of why it comes up in this context, because he was a god that was worshipped in Canaan. But as we discussed, I think, last week in the bonus, Baal also means like lord or master or owner. And so it's also used for other gods and even used for Yahweh at times. And is, but isn't, wow. didn't we also find it was used in the names of certain leaders as well? Yes. Right. And And before we had thought that anyone with Baal in their name was named after Baal, but maybe they're actually named after Yahweh, or maybe it's ambiguous. Maybe it's just like the Lord is great, and it's unclear if we mean Baal or if we mean Yahweh. So it's a little bit confusing. Also, the the name has been, like there have been other names for potentially Baal. Um, Hadad is one of them. That was potentially another name that was used for Baal. Um, El is another name, just E L. Hmm. Um, or Dagon, I think, is also oh, Dagon. Dagon. Yes, yeah. Dagon. So this is yes, that Dagon gets recycled for some um, really Lovecraft, Lovecraft stuff. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. Dagon shows up in Lovecraft, and then there's then there's just Baal which is used not only in this context of like the Canaan god, but apparently is also sometimes associated with uh, like Greek and Roman mythology hmm. as being part of that pantheon, but but maybe is like a different name for some other god in that kind of mythology. And then Baal Hamon is another one that's used. And so basically it's just kind of... Like Hamon Iberico? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I did not come across that. Like tasty and delicious? What is that? Oh, okay. Is that a food? Hamon Iberico? Yeah. Or Hamon Iberico? What is that? Yeah, like Iberian ham. Like it shows up in tapas restaurants all oh. the time. It's a Spanish oh, ham. Okay, okay. So one question that, that came up is that in a lot of sources, such as the Bible, it's not clear what Baal is the god of, which sort of depending on your you know theology, if you had sort of a, a polytheistic theology, generally gods are a god of a certain thing. And one of the things I found was talking about him being a god of the sun, but also of fertility and also of rain and lightning. And so it made me oh, wonder if lightning. our yeah, if our readings where it was talking about Yahweh doing all this stuff with rain and lightning was maybe a direct reference to to Baal and being like... He's getting back at Baal. He's right. like, I can do stuff with lightning too. Look. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not just Hilarious. you. Yeah. Well, and if that's, that's true, it makes extra sense why back in like the early parts of Isaiah, when there was that thing where it was... Or maybe, no, sorry, not in Isaiah. Before that, with Elisha, 
that thing of him against the priests of Baal and like, can you make this fire light without putting any fire on it? And the fact that Yahweh was the one that struck it with lightning and the priests of Baal couldn't get theirs to light maybe was also more directly like we're in your home court advantage as the God of lightning and Yahweh still won. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was, that was kind of an interesting extra bit of context. And then also the name Beelzebub, and we've mentioned this before. Yeah. The name Beelzebub comes also from the name Baal. And supposedly during the time of the New Testament is when that kind of way of saying, of referring to Baal became popular. And so it's an interesting question, though, of when we think of Beelzebub, we think of Satan. And it almost seems like as we're learning more that maybe they're two totally different characters. Since we talked about back in Genesis, Satan was kind of potentially like right. a lawyer or like a barrister in heaven. Hmm. And that right. in this case, Beelzebub, maybe he's just referring to like still the worshipers of Baal that are around. I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question that maybe we've sort of incorrectly mixed those with each other. Most likely. I I think there's a lot of incorrectness <laughs> well, that we've had yes. in this show because that hasn't Probably. really been the main focus of our yeah. show. Yeah, we're not trying to be like really correct on every single thing mm, right. and we're scientific. We're not aiming for the A+. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. We're aiming for true. the C average true. Here. Yeah, the Singapore, right. Singapore A. Is that it? No, definitely not the Singapore A. We're aiming for like the Singapore D. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. It's, no, I thought it was... Assuming that we're grading on a curve. That's the problem. So we don't know what the curve is. We don't know okay. who yeah, we're being gotcha. graded against. That's true. So That's, the yeah. other thing I learned, this was kind of fun. So in the book Paradise Lost, this John Milton's 1667 book, uh, but in that, there's all these fallen angels that gather around Satan in this like battle between angels and demons. Hmm. And in... How does an angel fall, by the way? Yeah, we'd have to... In their heart, within themselves, when they they switch sides. Yeah, maybe like traitor angels would be another way to say it. The traitor angels. But anyway, they would, you know, acquire (laughs) this kind of demon army. And in that book, Baalim and Ashtaroth are the generic names for the male and female demons. Got it. So they're, the Baalim are all of the male oh. demons and Ashtaroth are all of the female demons. So it's like, ah, oh, we know where he got that from now. Oh. And now, Absolutely. let me bring you up to modern day. Modern day Baal worship. Here's the deal. When you look this up, it is very hard to tell truth from fiction. Yeah, that's what I was worried I mean, about. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So part of the deal is that, as we mentioned, just from a realistic point of view, is that Baal was potentially a lot of other gods, maybe cultures that might still have any kind of worship or reverence for this god might n- never have called him Baal, but it might be the same person. So that that part, I just don't know. But when searching for Baal worship itself, so many Christian articles come up. And let me tell you what the Christians have told me. Oh dear. And that is that the largest Baal worship service on the planet is in America. Okay. The United States of America. And it of also course. goes by the name of Burning Man. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> yeah. That's that's it. There it is. I was there yeah. it is. I, I knew was it. wondering I if knew it was it. something like that. Amazing. Yep. yep. Incredible. Uh, basically, and and oh, let me let me see if I can find this one really, really good quote for you here. Yeah, here. This is an article from adventmessenger.org. So really trying to scare people, scare the parents. 
This is one of the paragraphs. The all-night dance parties include invoking on the pagan deities, nudity, unrestrained sex and drug use, while during the day, partygoers are treated to artistic displays and spiritualistic exercises, which include worshiping pagan gods. Every occult practice is on full display. This is a revival of the Old Testament worship of Baal. Sounds like a blast. There's there's <laughs> got to be some Christian camps that go to... There there's has to be at least be. one. Yeah. There's got to be at least one. If you listeners are part of a Christian camp at Burning Man, hit us up. Let us know what that's all about. That's interesting. You think so? Wow. I guess there's just so many probably? people. It feels like anything's possible. Yeah. There's literally an article. I, I Googled it. And the first thing that came up was like an article from the SFist talking about Christians going to Burning Man. So yeah, there's prayer okay. meets. Great. It's a thing. Great. Oh my goodness. Wow. Here's, here's another excerpt from this. What they don't tell you is that the biggest draw for the party goers is the free casual sex that is absolutely <laughs> rampant at the Burning Man Festival. And, is that the biggest draw? I mean, it, it draws some people. And it isn't just one-on-one sex nope, we're talking that's, about. That's true. That's Uh-oh. from the article. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> the orgies are coming. I also found... Yeah. Oh, dear. I found another article called Are Elites Bringing Back Baal Worship? Elites? Now, this one's pretty good. Elites, the elite, you know, the, the whoever the elite is. And that this yeah. is that there was Elon this... Elon Musk. Yeah, Elon Musk is doing it. There was an archway to Baal way back in the day that apparently got recreated at some point a few years ago by the like Digital Archaeology Society or whatever. They like recreated a, a reproduction of this arch and were touring it around the world. And this person being like, Baal worship is on display and they're bringing it around. It's in New York and London and all these things. And it's it's at gatherings by the elite and, you know, just really freaking out about it. And then finally, after several pages of Google searches, I found one probe all post here. Oh, just one. And this is, again, I can't validate this, but the article starts like this. It says, Baal has had a bad press. Ever since the authors of the Bible portrayed him as a wicked God (laughs) to whom worshipers would offer up their sacrifices of their firstborn sons, Baal has had an image problem. And he goes on to talk about the fact that Baal was loved and worshipped as a fertility God, the bringer of rain, the prince of peace. He caused the crops to grow and defeated the power of death. He defended the people from their enemies. But then... Something terrible happened that shook the ancient world to its very foundations. Terrifying bands of warriors came from over the western sea and laid waste to the city of Canaan. It seemed Baal could no longer protect his people. The sea god had defeated him in battle. Thus began the long decline of Baal's reign and the ascent of a new power, the power of Yahweh. Mm. Whoa. So told from the other point of view, really interesting. And so... Supposedly, this this person is a professor. So he says, when I first arrived in Lebanon in January 2016 to spend a semester as a visiting professor at the American University of Beirut, I was a hardened skeptic and a devout atheist. Uh, I thought all this was nonsense. But then while I was in Syria, I came across a remote village where a faithful band of devotees continue to keep the name of Baal alive. Interesting. Now, here's the big caveat for all of this. It's interesting, but 
the final link here is a link to a book called the Children of Baal trilogy on Kindle, you know, on, on the Amazon that you Kindle store that I excitedly grabbed, <laughs> I purchased it for 99 cents. And it's under the category of like supernatural thriller or paranormal thriller. So it's possible the blog post, the whole thing is fake and it's like an in character blog oh, post from this person. Like I some just, kind of guerrilla marketing. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah. Okay. I just don't know. But once I do read this book, I'll be able to tell you a little bit okay, more you'll about have to the children back. of Paul. Yeah. That's fun. Wow. Beautiful. All righty. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about jackals. Lots of jackals. Yeah, they were mentioned. Exactly. They were mentioned a ton in these three chapters. So, okay. I I was kind of conflating a jackal with a hyena, but a jackal Mm. is actually pretty cute. It has like a (laughs) face and a tail like a fox, but then its midsection sort of looks like a German shepherd. Oh, yeah. That is kind of cute. You fit all those pieces together. It's got those big. Big pointy ears and pointy nose like a little fox. Wasn't, yeah, exactly. Right. Wasn't one of the Egyptian gods a jackal? Yeah. Yes, I think you're right. I don't know which one. Maybe Dedeker can look that up. That, but I think it was Anubis, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah, Anubis. Yeah, yes. that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it is a canine. It's like a domesticated dog, but they're, they're in sub-Saharan Africa and also Central Europe and Asia. So they're omnivores, but they're scavengers for sure. Mm. And kind of hyena-esque. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of why I put them in the similar category right. in my mind. Apparently, they're monogamous. So <laughs> okay. they, they're like, in like pairs. Lifelong, like lifelong monogamous? Like it's, lifelong pair bonding? It says their most common social unit is a monogamous pair, which defends its territory from other pairs by vigorously chasing, intruding rivals, and marking landmarks around their territory with their urine and feces. Gotcha. Lovely. Yeah, great. Oh, but if you look up pictures of jackal puppies, they're really cute. Oh, I bet. Or are they puppies? Oh, oh they're just little babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they assemble in small packs and they scavenge for a carcass, but they normally either hunt alone or in pairs. So then I looked up this thing uh, on biblical beasts, which is from the Dominican friars of England and Scotland. Very cute. Yeah, and they talk about this. They said uh, to date there's much confusion about whether or not a jackal is exactly being referred to in the Bible or if it's a fox. Oh, interesting. Apparently, they're sort of similar in terms of, like, their cunning nature mm, and, right. yeah, just the ways in which they sort of show up in the Bible. Um, but the reason why it gets bad press, according to these friars, these English and Scottish friars, is that they wait, they watch, and then when the time is opportune and the risk is slight, they pounce and their aim is survival at any cost. But basically, like, men should not be doing this. Men who do this are selfish. They prowl unseen by night and hide by day, and their deeds are hidden. Their motivations are secret, and they prefer, you know, ill deeds and refuse to live openly in the light. So I see kind I think of this essentially like scavengy aspect you know, like of slink, jackals, slinky and slippery. Yeah, picking yeah, off the weak exactly. kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we should not indulge in cunning or trickery or band together to prey on the defenseless, essentially. So I think, again, this is another moment in the Bible where we're looking at a jackal and we're talking about jackals, but we're really talking about men and we're talking right. about Israel being this cunning 
jackal but they're actually just being cunning people so it's sad yeah. because jackals get this bad rap but mm. we're kind of just using them as a metaphor yet again are they are they endangered or are they okay oh i don't see anything on here that says they're endangered i've just i've been scrolling through pictures this whole time and oh my gosh they're very cute they're really they cute, cute. <laughs> your face kind of looks like a shiba inu dedeker it is a yeah little they, they have a little bit like. of definitely the fox markings for sure oh yeah. my gosh oh. these puppies Oh. <laughs> they're so we'll cute. To, we'll have to put some puppies. Oh, they're con- together. I, I looked it up. Yeah. Their conservation status for numerous different species of jackal is quote least concerned. So the population is okay. stable. They're doing, they're doing jackals are just okay. Fine. Yeah. Yes. Well, love that. That's good. To there's hear. always going to be something to scavenge. And yes. I don't actually can know. Pick off all the other endangered species. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what eats them, if anything. So. Hmm. Hmm. I haven't seen anything in here that talks about that. But yeah, they're they're similar, very similar to dogs and wolves and coyotes. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. But different little faces. Wait, is a fox a canine also? I think I think technically they count as a canine. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's nuts, but they just look like something else entirely. But anyways, they're really cute. Everyone go look up jackal pictures because <laughs> I was surprised at how adorable they were. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, do you want to hear about predestination? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I feel like I need to yeah, Emily, ha- figure well, out what the heck this is. So it sounds like you were vaguely familiar with this concept before. Is that right? Sure. Well, yeah, I feel like it's come up. I mean, it, it's come up in our other podcast. We talked about it fairly recently, just this idea of predestination in terms of stoicism, actually. That came up like very hmm quickly mm. okay um mm. and that that questioning like it was zeus predestining everyone for whatever for their life right yeah 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 so to put it in a nutshell the term predestination can refer to a couple different things usually it refers to this idea like does god predestine everything does god know literally everything yeah. that's going to happen and does he dictate everything that's going to happen that's one side of it but another offshoot of it is, does that mean God has also predestined who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Yeah. Oh, they're two separate a, things. Interesting. I feel like I've heard that. Well, separate but related. Yes. So this is a very, very deep topic. I'm sure there have been people who have written many, many, many dissertations yeah. on this topic of predestination, how the concept has changed over the years. So this is going to be a very Cliff Notes overview Give it to me, baby. Of that. So... Well, so, okay, in the episode, we were asking that question of, like, when does this concept even come up? Because so far in this book, we haven't really gotten a sense that that's part of the narrative necessarily. And so this is what I found. is So Josephus, who was a very, very, very early historian writing during the first century, he wrote that there were these three main Jewish sects that differed on this idea of predestination. So he argued that the Essenes and the Pharisees thought that God's providence orders every single event. But the Pharisees specifically thought that people could still choose between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. But then the Sadducees didn't think that anything was predestined necessarily. Now, other scholars and historians came afterwards to say, nah, Josephus was taking that weight, was kind of oversimplifying all of that. They think that these different sects of Judaism we're actually more thinking about specifically God's work of liberating Israel rather than these bigger questions about predestination. So as in, it's more of a question of, do we wait for God 
to liberate Israel because he's got everything predestined mm-hmm. and it's going to happen? Okay. Or do we need to collaborate with God and act in cooperation with him in order for him to liberate the Israelites? And so other scholars have argued that's more the scope that we're probably looking at around this time. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because that would be the sort of the more immediate concern for them is about us and our peoples and how we're doing not heaven and hell because that's not really a concept that we've been introduced to yet. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, not yet. Now, but this concept does start to evolve and start to change. So we eventually get to the point where people are starting to make the argument of basically then, okay, we get this idea of double predestination. And double predestination is the idea that God specifically chooses some people to be saved and also specifically chooses some people to be damned. Jeez. Okay. Yes, that it's like very, very specific that he set aside particular people. Um, and now... Are there also in-between people? No. There's no, at least... No, oh, I, mean, I see. In other, okay. in other interpretations of predestination, there are. You know, that's where we get okay. things like purgatory and like this concept right. that was really popular back in the day of this idea of a newborn baby who hasn't been baptized yet or a stillborn baby gets sent to purgatory or sometimes even sent to hell. Like Jeez. God is just preordained... What? Uh, yep. Right. Yep. Gracious. Yeah. Um, so then Thomas Aquinas comes along in the Middle Ages and he puts another spin on this where he kind of believes that, you know, people have free will, they're free in their choices. They also are responsible for their own sins. But basically, God still wills people's actions. So he, God directly wills good things. And he indirectly wills bad consequences of good things, but he only permits evil. And basically, because God permits evil, he's not willing it to necessarily be done or not. He's just permitting it. I see. Okay. See, but but he is willing and controlling some good things. Some good things, yes. Interesting. And then William of Ockham, famous for... The razor? Wait, no, that's the wrong Ockham, actually. Oh, it's a different Ockham? Okay, good. good, good. (laughs) It's a different Ockham. Oh, wait. that No, that is the Occam. That is the correct Occam. Okay. William of Occam. He's the one with the razor. Yes. Okay. Thought I confused him with another. He loved else. those razors. He has a razor? What's this razor? Occam's razor. Are we not talking about Occam's oh, razor? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yes. I think that we have. Yes. Can you remind yeah, you me? You probably it, know it from that movie Contact. <gasps> yes. Oh, I gotta watch <laughs> it again. It's so good. They talk about it a lot. In I'm going to bring us back to predestination. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So William of Ockham, he thought that, you know, God doesn't cause specific human choices. And for him, it was more, no, predestination just means he has foreknowledge. So like, he knows what choices. He doesn't control it. He doesn't control the choices, but he knows what choices are going to be made. And that's how he predestines things. And he also thought that God does predestine based on what he has foreseen of what people are going to do, but his will is not constrained to do this. So he's not forced Okay. 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 And then John Calvin comes along in the 1500s. And and for some reason, Calvin is the one that most people associate with, quote unquote, creating predestination. He didn't. He was just kind of expounding on all of these earlier ideas. But he really leans hard into the double predestination thing that, no, there are specific people. It's predestined. They're going to be saved. And other people, it's predestined. They're going to be damned. And that's it. It is. Yikes. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Wow. Wow. 
I'm trying to, and and I also found a couple of contemporary Christian blog posts about this. Most of them acknowledging, I think quite understandably, that this is a very controversial topic even to this day and kind of a topic that a lot of pastors feel like we can't really talk about this necessarily. (laughs) Um, I I mean, I think it opens up a whole Pandora's box whenever you're starting to talk about the whole paradox of free will. There's so many questions. and There's so many questions. Yeah, Yeah, it really doesn't, there's no like one answer to this question. And the questions just create more questions. And I don't know if anyone can give a true answer to it. I, you know, I am trying to remember how my own church dealt with this topic of predestination. I don't remember it ever, ever, ever being straight up acknowledged on its face necessarily. I, you know, I think it was explained still in that paradoxical way, like we have free will and yet God knows everything that's going to happen, you know, and that was kind of where it was left. Yeah, But for me, I do think that this was the thread that I started tugging on a little bit that started to unravel the sweater of Christianity for me. Interesting. Because, yes, because I remember for me, when I read The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver when I was a teenager. It's such a... Which is a phenomenal book. book. It was quite seminal in my deconversion process because it was one of the first books that highlighted to me, hey, if you try to set forth that the only way people can be saved is if they hear this particular message. They hear the word of God and they accept Christ into their hearts. That means it's unfortunately impossible to tell literally everyone in the world that, even though missionaries, we try to send out missionaries to do our best. And that means that some people are going to die without ever having heard the word of God. And that means they're going to go to hell Mm. and not heaven, even though they've never been given the opportunity to even think about these things. And so good point. that was mm-hmm. the first book that pointed that out to me. And that was the first time as a teenager, I was like, whoa, wait, that is kind of messed up. Actually, the idea that God would mm-hmm. create people knowing that basically they're never going to go to heaven, knowing that they're not going to get yeah. an opportunity, like no, knowing they're never going to be able to meet the criteria that is set for entry into heaven. And yeah. also those happen to be a lot of black and brown people in poor places in the world yeah. <laughs> on top of that. Exactly. And so for, I don't know, this whole thing was, like I said, it was it was one of the threads that got tugged on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I didn't read that book till much later, but I do feel like that same concept though of like, wait a minute, if that's the criteria, that's a pretty messed up criteria then that, yeah. you know, that some baby who's born in some country who's never heard of this and dies, that they would go to hell then by this logic. And like, that doesn't seem like a God that I'm into. And so, yeah, I would say it's a similar concept that actually started to unravel things for me as well. Well, there you go. That's predestination. (laughs) That's what I got. It's still no one... More questions upon questions. Exactly. I don't think anyone really has any good answers, unfortunately. Yeah. But no, it's fascinating for sure. Thank you for telling us more about it. Well, yeah. next week, we're going to keep on doing this. We're going to keep on talking to Jeremiah. See, this is what I want. I want Jeremiah's, you know, rhetoric or whatever, his his proselytizing. In, I want that to happen, yes, because that's what we're reading, the prophets. But I also want some action. Hmm. They did that in Kings or in some other books where they would they would have some profiteering and then they also would have some fun action. And I don't know if Jeremiah is just going to talk and wax and wane for, you know, hours on end. I think we will get some action. 
but I don't know how soon it's going to happen. Okay. I do know that at some point, though, in this book, we are going to get a little bit more of like the personal trials and tribulations oh, that's nice. of Jeremiah. We've gotten hints of it with him being like, they're all mean to me, Yahweh. You know, do your thing. Kind of like Kill exactly em. the same thing wow. David said in his psalm. <laughs> that's true. Very similar sentiment. So we've gotten hints at it, but I do think we are going to get a little more information later at some point. Okay, fun. Looking forward to it. Well, we'll see you all next week where we can continue on this journey of Jeremiah.